In this final talk, we're going to look at the last few verses of 1 Peter, the whole letter. And so starting chapter 5 and verse 10, Peter writes, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power for ever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regarded as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, as so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Now, straight away, we see that Peter is talking about grace and peace at the beginning of the letter, when he said, you remember, grace and peace be yours in abundance. And here at the end of the letter, grace and peace appear again. So he writes, the God of all grace, verse 10, and that we're to stand fast in the true grace of God, verse 12. And then the very last sentence of the letter, peace to all of you who are in Christ. So that grace and peace focus, praying that those will be ours in abundance, is uh, very much the theme of the letter. But what I want to focus on, actually, in this last main session, is is this and we'll get back to that passage at towards the end but i want to focus on this how can you and i how can hdc as a whole church how can we navigate our lives to be lives that bring god glory now you've all seen this um trusty navigate signpost that's been on the um, stage during our weekend um and just uh, if you look at it imagine how you or I, or indeed this church, how we can be this signpost, how we can be clearly pointing, not to the toilets or to the restaurant as this sign does, but rather pointing to God. How can we be signposts to God? How can we be bringing God glory as we go from here, from this weekend, and how can we be signposts to him throughout this coming year? Well, you'll see there are three parts to this signpost, and the three parts uh, are three parts, if you like, for us bringing glory to God. And the first part is um, a good life, a good life. So this is the pole of the signpost. Without the pole, the sign at the top is on the floor, isn't it? We need the pole of a good life to be able to bring glory to God. So if you look at chapter 2, verses 11 and 12 again, uh, Peter writes, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So here's the exile bit that we've seen a number of times. How are we to live as people whose ultimate home is heaven? We're in exile here on earth. Our ultimate home is heaven. How are we to live as people who are foreigners and exiles on here on earth? Well, what does Paul Peter say again? He says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now, do you see the tension that we have there in, in, in this idea of navigating our way through life? In that verse, it says we're to live such good lives among the pagans, we're to be among them, yet at the same time, we are to be different from them, we're to be separate, we're to be these exiles, these foreigners. You know, classically, we are to be in the world, but not of the world. And navigating that tightrope of being in the world, but not of the world is sometimes very tricky. For some of us, we're in danger of being colonised by the culture. We're assimilating to the culture that we find ourselves in, not being any different from it. You know, the culture of London, of 21st century Babylon, it wipes out our Christian identity. We are, if you like, to choose an animal, uh, we are the chameleon. We're, we are those who just merge who we are, depending on where we are. So we might look very nice and Christian here on the church weekend away, but we look very different during the week when we're with our work colleagues or when we're at home with our kids or when we're dating people or when we're down the pub or whatever it might be. We're chameleon. We, we merge who we are depending on where we are. And in a sense, if, if, if we're like that, we need to, if you like, we need to feel less at home in society. 
We need to recognise that we are citizens of heaven, we're exiles, and that there is to be a difference in how we live life as a result. And you know, when we're not chameleon-like, when we are distinct, when we are different, it actually, it feels better. If you look at verse 11 again, Peter says, abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. He's saying a compromised Christian, let's be frank, a compromised Christian is always a miserable Christian because we're letting this war against our soul overtake us. Now, for others of us, we've gone in the opposite direction. We are too isolated from the world. We've hunkered down in a Christian enclave, all the more in lockdown when we haven't physically gone to work. We're not a chameleon, we're a hedgehog. We're a Christian in hibernation. And we need to recognise that we are called to be genuine citizens of London. We are called to navigate linking our faith to the rest of life. It says live such good lives among the pagans, but we're never among them. So, you know, when it says they, they, they accuse you of doing wrong, no one ever does that because they never see us um, living with the pagans. So they'd never see us doing any good deed or not doing any good deed. Far less would they glorify God because of us, because we are not living among the pagans. So the chameleon, the chameleon fails to be distinct. The hedgehog fails to be visible. But both of them are not living the good life. Whereas we, as followers of Jesus, we are called to be visible and distinct. So that's the first part of the signpost. The pole, a good life. But as I said, there are three parts of the signpost. You've got the pole, a good life, being both visible and distinct, neither a hedgehog nor a chameleon. But the second part of the signpost is the sign itself there at the top, uh, a good lip. This is a good lip. So back in January, uh, you may remember in the Sunday sermons, Tim was speaking in a sermon about, uh, he showed a picture of a signpost with no sign. So, you know, all the bits at the top, they didn't say anything on them. And that's a bit like living a good life without speaking of Jesus. It's like being a signpost without having any writing on the sign. It doesn't point anywhere. People may be impressed by us, but what happens if we're living a good life and we're never speaking about Jesus? Who gets the glory? Not God. We do. Now take a look at 1 Peter 3 verse 13. Peter writes, Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Now, Peter there is quoting Isaiah 8 verse 12, uh, and uh, there in verse 14 of 1 Peter 3. And actually, Isaiah 8 verse 12 is one of my favourite verses at the moment, because I think it is so relevant and so helpful for the situation we are living in at the moment with all the, the fear of everything going on in Ukraine and things like that. Just listen to Isaiah 8, verse 12. It says this. It says, Do not call conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear, and do not dread it. You see, Isaiah is saying it is easy to fear what other people fear, because some fears, they're all too genuine, they're all too real. We know that. But the ultimate point that Isaiah is making is that those things are not the ultimate thing to fear. He says, do not fear what they fear. Do not dread it. Verse 13, the Lord Almighty is the one you're to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. You see, it's as, 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 um, as we fear God, as we, as we rightly reverence God, as we're in awe of God and his might and his majesty and his holiness, it's then that our other fears subside. The things that are, are causing the fears for us at the moment, they may still be there, you know, whatever it is, the war, the illness, the uncertain future, those fears may be there. But our fears about those things will subside if we are rightly fearing God. 
Now look at the context of how Peter quotes Isaiah 8 again in, in chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. He says, who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. And then he quotes Isaiah. He says, do not fear their threats, or little footnote, do not fear what they fear. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened, but in your hearts revere, or fear, in your hearts revere, fear Christ as Lord. In other words, rightly fear Jesus as our Lord, and we won't be worried what other people think of us, even if they harm us. And so, what will we do? If we're fearing God more than fearing other people, how does verse 15 continue? Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. You see, if we're going to be people who have good lips, and I'm not talking about lip filler injections, just to be clear. If we're going to be people with good lips, if we're prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have, then it all depends on the seesaw of fear. Think of that seesaw. At one end, fear of what other people think of me. Other end of the seesaw, fear of Jesus Christ, reverence for our Lord. If our fear of what other people think of us is greater, we will keep quiet. We won't speak of Jesus. But if our fear of Jesus, our reverence for our awesome Lord, if that is greater, we'll be ready and excited to proclaim him and point people to him through what we say. You know, I think a couple of days, a couple of days ago, uh, Susanna and I were at some very smart dinner. Very few Christians were there. We were talking to slightly scary people. One woman I was sitting next to on one side, she'd done scientific research with Richard Dawkins. Uh, the other was a hotshot senior lawyer. You know, was I ready to speak of Jesus with them? Was I ready to tell the one who'd just been diagnosed with a serious illness that I would pray for her? Did I feel a fear of what they thought of me? Yes, I did. Of course I did, inevitably. But the question was, was I going to speak about Jesus with them? And that depended on the seesaw of fear. Did I have more fear of what they thought of me? Or did I have more fear, right awe and reverence of Jesus? Our actions, what we do, whether we'll speak of Jesus, will depend on how much we have a right fear and awe of our Lord Jesus. So what makes up this, this signpost, us being signposted to Jesus? Three bits for us to be bringing glory to God. Firstly, a good life, the pole of the signpost. Secondly, a good lip, the actual signs on top of the signpost. But it all rests on the third part, the most important part. Without it, the signposts are just topple over. You need a good life, you need a good lip, and a solid rock, or in this case, a wooden pallet base. We need a solid rock. You see, we can look to live a good life, indeed such a good life among the pagans that though they accuse us of doing wrongs, they see our good deeds. We can put up the pole of the signpost so that the sign can be visible. We can look to live with good lips, see, speaking of Jesus, so that we're pointing clearly to Jesus as we speak of the reason for the hope we have. The signpost, it says Jesus. But without a solid rock, a base of trust in Jesus, the whole thing is a waste of time. Without the base, the sign falls over. And that's what we've been hearing this weekend from Pete, from Jason in the talks yesterday and today. You know, Jason this morning, he looked at the first um, bit of uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 and, the, and the, this message of come to Jesus, the living stone. Jason used the image of, the, you know, the giant Jenga, the Jenga blocks having a good foundation. Jesus is our cornerstone. So we've heard it in the talks. We've sung it in the songs of the weekend too. You know, we sang, when my soul is lost at sea, he, Jesus, will be my rock. We sang on Christ, the solid rock I'll stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And in the next three Sundays at church, I hope that that's what we'll see in our new sermon series. 
As many of you know, I, in my sabbatical, I didn't just go on a skiing holiday disguised as being a chaplain. I also have been writing a book about William Wilberforce and our other forebears at HDC and how they provide us and provide the global church with such a good model of how to do life in the 21st century. Now, the, the, the sermon series in the book, if it gets published, will be called The All-Important Eye. And right at the heart of the sermon series, right at the heart of the book, will be this truth that whatever goes on in our life, Whatever we say with our lips, you know, uh, however we navigate life so we are living for God's glory, it all has to start with our base, our foundation, our solid rock, our relationship with Jesus. You and I, we are not going to be William Wilberforce. He had a unique set of skills and gifts and opportunities, lived at a unique time. But in our own ways, in our own spheres of influence for each one of us, who each one of us is, we can live as signposts to God's glory. We can do that through good lives and good lips, which are founded on the solid rock of Jesus. In 1833, uh, William Wilberforce was on the point of death. He was aged 73. He'd come to faith in his 20s as an MP. Uh, he worked for the abolition of the slave trade. That took place eventually when he was in his late 40s. And then on Friday, the 26th of July, 1833, with Wilberforce, age 73, the abolition of slavery bill, not just the abolition of the slave trade, but the abolition of slavery itself, that was passed in Parliament, requiring an end to slavery throughout the whole of the British Empire. Now, that was on a Friday. And by the Sunday night, Wilberforce had deteriorated really badly. And he said to his wife and to his son, Henry, who was with him, he said, I'm in a very distressed state. And his son, Henry, replied to Wilberforce with the last ever words spoken to Wilberforce. And his son, Henry, said this to William Wilberforce. He said, yes, but you have your feet on the rock. Yes, but you have your feet on the rock, William Wilberforce. And later that night, Wilberforce died. Yes, but you have your feet on the rock. Indeed, he had the best short summary that I have read of William Wilberforce's life is by Doug, Doug Holliday, who was the US Special Ambassador to South Africa in the time of Nelson Mandela's release from prison. And he was one of the head honchos of Goldman Sachs for a time. He's a Christian. And this is what Doug Holliday has written about Wilberforce. He writes this. Wilberforce, while committed to a deeply passionate cause, had his identity and contentment anchored elsewhere. He was a man at peace in the storms of his time one who integrated every facet of his life and thought within the borders of his faith, it could truly be said of him that he lived in the light of eternity. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but as we've looked at having a good life, what does Peter say? He says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. See, it's a prayer that other people will glorify God in the future when Jesus returns. Glorify him as they have come to faith in Jesus through our witness. It's about living now, that verse, in the light of eternity. So that's what Peter says about living a good life. What does he say about living with a good lip? You remember again, he says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Again, it's future looking, our eternal hope and living now in the light of eternity. My prayer is that those words of Doug Holliday about Wilberforce could be said about me and could be said about each of you. Just put your name in there, Jago, 
while committed to a deeply passionate cause, had his identity and contentment anchored elsewhere. He was a man at peace in the storms of his time, one who integrated every facet of his life and thought within the borders of his faith. It could truly be said of him that he lived in the light of eternity. Susanna, while committed to a deeply passionate cause, had her identity and contentment anchored elsewhere. She was a woman at peace in the storms of her time, one who integrated every facet of her life and thought within the borders of her faith. It could truly be said of her that she lived in the light of eternity. Now add your name too. For if that could be true, those words about Wilberforce, if that could be true of you and of me, well then we truly would be navigating life for God's glory. Shall we pray? I'd love to pray just by uh, going back to the verses I read right at the start. Remember those verses? I haven't referred to them yet, but I'm referring to them now. This is Peter's prayer at the end of his letter. 1 Peter 5 verse 10. He says, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. And just see there, as we turn now to pray, that it's a prayer for God's grace to be powerfully at work in us, to do what? Four things. To restore us, to make you strong, to make you firm, to make you steadfast. It's all a prayer about being rooted solidly, firmly on the solid rock of Jesus. That we be restored, like um, Pete was saying yesterday, restored like... That table being restored, us being made strong and steadfast so that we might be signposts pointing to Jesus, bringing glory to God as we navigate the cross currents of life. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would fill each one of us with your grace, that your power would be at work in us, restoring us, making us strong, firm and steadfast as signposts for you. And we pray this for your glory. Amen.